This episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio is being brought to you by the hero's choice for delicious pizza. Papa John's understands the value of supporting freedom and our heroes. Truly, better ingredients, better pizza, better people. Papa John's. Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. I was super stoked and extremely excited and humbled and honored to get this interview. This is the first World War II veteran that I've had on the show. He has an amazing story. He was part of General Patton's army that made the push across Europe through the Ardennes. Uh, he was at the Battle of the Bulge. He crossed the Rhine, and he helped to liberate two concentration camps. He's the recipient of not only one Bronze Star Medal, but three. He's a native Kentuckian. He answered his nation's call of duty when they had to rid the world of fascism. I was very honored to get this interview, and I'm also very, very thankful and grateful for those of you who listen to Straight of Combat Radio and support what we're doing to diminish the negative stereotype of our combat veterans. You're going to enjoy this interview. Thank you. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Our guest today for Straight Out of Combat Radio is United States Army World War II veteran and Bronze Star recipient, Mr. Roy H. Duncan. I'm extremely honored and proud and humbled to have Roy with us today as he is the first World War II veteran that I've had on our show. And, and it means a lot. These guys are a rare breed, and uh, we need to tell their stories. Roy is the son of a sharecropper and was born in western Kentucky. During the war, he was a radio operator assigned to headquarters company, 21st Armored Infantry Battalion, 11th Armored Division, and General Patton's 3rd Army. This native Kentuckian answered his nation's call to duty and his story is absolutely amazing it's one that you need to hear the tail end of his military service took him through the last six months of the war that had the 11th armored division pushing through the, the snow-covered countryside from france to Lens, where they liberated the mauthausen concentration camp on the day the war ended oh and by the way Mr. Duncan was not just awarded one Bronze Star Medal for his actions. He's got three of them. Again, I am so very honored to have Mr. Duncan with us on this episode. Welcome, Roy, Duncan, and John. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Get started. Tell us about Western Kentucky growing up. Tell us what was going on, John. Well, there's... Uh my dad was a sharecropper, and he was. I started to school at Rosington, Kentucky, and from there we moved into Ballard County, and then we moved back to McCracken County, and I went to Hayes High School 
from the uh, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade at East Kentucky. And then uh, World War II came, Pearl Harbor came, and so uh, I have to tell you that my girlfriend and I, we decided we would elope. So we eloped to Sykes in Missouri in December the 23rd, 1941. We like to say those were the days, right? Those were the days. When you had to take things into your own hand. <laughs> That's a great story. So, you, so you, you all fled across the Kentucky border into Missouri and you found a justice of the peace. Is that, is that how it went yeah. down? It just so happened that the uh, Eileen, we had to take her little brother with us <laughs> in Missouri, and uh, so we told him when to get tired, and they said it's about time. That's fun. That's funny. Uh, let, let me ask you this. Did you have, when you were coming along in Western Kentucky, did you have anybody in your family that had been in the military? Well, my older brother... Uh, Brack, he was in the Army Air Force. He was served in China and North Africa. Right, during the wars. But, you know, did, did did you have anybody in your ancestry that went back? Like, did you have a mentor or somebody that you looked up to? We, we, we have researched in our James Duncan fought in the American Revolutionary War. Wow. So you go you go way back. Yes. That's incredible. And then, That's incredible. And then that was... Uh, Duncan was a Holman, and Henry Holman he fought in American Revolutionary War, and that, and then they ended up then they ended up settling in Kentucky. So, and then uh, uh, Henry Holman married a Polly Foster, and her her dad was a Revolutionary War spy, Alexander Foster. I would say, uh, Roy, that that goes way back. So your your roots are, are deep, deep in America. Then yeah, that's right. Okay, I'm trying to get this straight. So you had come from a long line of American patriots. You're a young man living in western Kentucky. The war comes up. Yes. You decide to elope. You, you head across the border with Eileen and, and, your, and your cousin. And you get married and you come back. Yes. And then did you, go, did you go to the recruitment station right away? Or what happened? How did you get into the Army? Well, they drafted me. We got married on... Uh 23rd of December, and I I worked for the railroad, and they got me a department for about a year, and it was about a year before I went into the Army. I was drafted into the Army. So how old were you? 22. 22 years old. And and when you got the the basic training, and where did you go to basic training, and what was basic training like for you? Well, basic training... The first uh, six, you had the 13 weeks of basic training. And the first first uh, six weeks in basic training, they, they told us that you'd be killed or be killed. So you can't waste any bullets. You shoot first and ask questions later. <laughs> I get that. So you decided to become a radio operator? I, I, was, I went to Camp Pope, Louisiana. That's where I first went. That was where my basic training was. And then I had made high on uh, on the uh, mechanical, and I got to go to Fort Knox for a wheel vehicle in, uh, for 13 weeks. And that was very good because 
well, that train service in and uh, classes were out at one o'clock on Friday and I'd worked for the railroad and I jumped on the train and went home and spent the weekend at home and then I'd get back on the train Sunday afternoon and go back to Fort Knox during my wheel vehicle training. That is a pretty good setup. So let me let me ask you, what was what was the attitude? You know, the country was at war and and what was the attitude of the men that you were serving with at that time before you guys went to Europe? What was going how did people feel about it? Well, they just said a job had to be done, and that's the reason you're in Army. Yes, sir. So you all just, you know, it's called the call of duty, and you just answered the call of duty, and you did what you had to do. Yeah. My older brother was, uh, he was in the Army Air Force, and he served in China and North Africa. And uh, I had uh, one younger brother, he was in the CBs, and he, Calvin, he served in the Pacific. Well, that's good. So the whole family's involved. Did you, uh, when you got the orders for your deployment, now, did you go to radio operator school before that, or did you learn that when you were over there? Oh, I, I have a, had an accident. I lost two fingers, and I was working on an amphibious jeep, and a driver got in and started a motor, and I lost uh, two ends of my fingers. That changed the whole setup, what I was going to be, and then the captain told me, he said, if you can drive a all of our vehicles and uh, says you're too valuable player to put in limited service as you will find a job for you so i was this that and the other and i was in the we had i was in headquarters company and we had a mortar platoon artillery platoon machine gun platoon and finally they said well you can operate a radio so you're going to be in a machine gun platoon so i had a machine gun on my back in on uh, January the 4th, 1945, we was coming along in uh, Chalon, Belgium, and our German artillery came in and hit my radio, knocked me to the ground, but the shrapnel didn't get through the radio. So I was in a hospital for about four days, and he says, you haven't got any broken bones. He says, you can go back. And I said, I want to go back to my outfit. He soldier, we'll send you where we need you. So that was towards the end of the war. When you were still in the in the States, when, it, when you got the orders to deploy with your unit to go to Europe, what was what was the feeling then? Were you all ready to go? You were trained up and, and, and couldn't wait to get over there? Well, we had been training for two years. We had trained for the North African campaign, but that ended. We were at Camp Barkley, and we were in uh, Ibis, California, in the desert training for North Africa, and then that war ended, and we went to Camp Cook. And from Camp Cook, then we had more basic training, more training, and then we were deployed. I think we left California on the 29th of September on our way overseas uh, to, to Europe. So we you went, we went to, where did you go first? Uh, we went to England. War Minister England was there for two months and uh, they sent us back overseas. We got to Rene's. France. We thought we was going to St. Nazaire's France to clean out a German pocket. But then the, the Battle of the Bulge started, so we went from Rennes, France, to Bastogne, and 36 hours, we didn't stop. 
Well, and I know, you know, from the, the accounts that we read these days is just how, how cold it really was. Can you describe the Battle of the Bulge? Well, uh, when we arrived at Bastogne, it was about from, it's according to where you were, there was six to 18 inches of snow, snowing and blowing. The temperature was about 20 degrees. The warmest place was in a foxhole with your raincoat over with snow around three corners of your circle. Did you guys have any cold weather clothing or was it pretty basic? Well, I don't, we, 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 were, we, were, we weren't equipped with uh, 20 degrees. <laughs> I hear you. So you did have something, but but it wasn't. I, I've read stories, of course, you know, we really, uh, we really respect and admire those guys that were at the Battle of the Bulge because that was that could have gone either way. You, yeah, you, that could go either, either way, and we were at Shenong, Belgium, and that's where we started our big push, and we got going. What was it like fighting the Germans as a fighting force? How were those people? Well, the uh, the German, regular Germans that we captured, they said that they had, uh, all the units had an SS troop in there and they didn't want anybody surrendered. If they talked like they wanted to surrender, they were shot. So they were just, they was, uh, the regular armies, they were like us. They had thought that Hitler told them that they were the super race and they would needed to get rid of all the other people. That's the reason he had the two concentration camps. Yeah, we can get to that in a second. But let me ask you this, Roy. So you guys are doing the push. You're at the Battle of the Bulge. It's grueling work. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. What was it like in the unit? Was the morale still high? Were you guys still pushing hard? Because I know General Patton, he was a well, I've read, I didn't know him personally, but he was a guy that just pushed and pushed and pushed. Was the morale good? Well, I think the morale is good. We were in uh, had uh, close the Battle of the Bulge, and we were in a little part of uh, Luxembourg, and we got some kind of instructions that the Germans had abandoned a bunker, and we went through the secret line. And got it, got our bunker, and then we set up our own machine guns for, for whenever they came back, they were greeted with our fire at the Siegfried line. And that was close contact, wasn't it? That was close contact. We didn't want any closer than that. We had our machine guns. They didn't get any closer than 100 yards. Can you describe any particular instance, Roy, where you were thinking – Holy cow, I am never going to make it out of here. Well, whenever after we got through the secret line, we went back for a brief rest at Lila Luxembourg. And whenever I was at Lila Luxembourg, the, uh, one of the ladies gave all of us our little handkerchief. It said, thank you, liberated soldier, to my wife from Roy. <laughs> you, you still have that? Yeah, I still have that. That's incredible. So, you know, we read a lot about the greatest generation and, and, you know, you're really the first World War II veteran and I'm 60 years old that I've ever, ever sat down to talk to about it. And, you know, they might give us bits and pieces. And what's interesting, Roy, is that these stories are so very valuable to our history. And, 
you know, we're going to get to some more of it, but you and a lot of men like you and the ladies that were involved, you're one of the biggest reasons why that we were able to rid the world of fascism and, and, and hatred. And you mentioned the concentration camps and I, you know, I, I just, I, I wanted to interject here and just tell you how respectful I am of you and your generation. And, and again, thank you for being on the show. Well, I just want to tell you that when we broke through the German plan, we got to the Rhine River and we were supposed to get a bridge, but we didn't get it. And one of our generals was relieved and we got another general and then we went down on the west side of the Rhine to Worms, Germany, and we captured the airport down there and there was a bridge about 10 miles back up and then we crossed the ran over, over that bridge and we headed to Oberhof, Germany and we got there and we thought we was going our way to Berlin but uh, they said Oberhof belongs to the Russians so we all got to get out so we went down the Czech border all the way to the concentration camp at Mauthausen so we liberated a bunch a, two concentration camps Mauthausen and Gusen what did you see there? Well, we just uh, the, the people there was uh, their daily meal was a cup of potato soup made out of potato potato peelings. We try to save as many of them as I can, and I have a picture of one guy standing. He thinks he remembered me giving him a drink of water. Wow! Were there any Germans still around at this time when you guys liberated the camps, or were they all gone by then? They, they were trying to escape. They were SS soldiers that were the guards there, and they were trying to escape. And we captured a bunch of them. And they had, one bunch had two cars, and they were in a house, and they had taken about six Austrian boys, about 12 to 14, to wait on them. And so they got to go home, and we captured their the SS troopers that had them. Wow, that's incredible! You know, your your buddies when y'all when y'all liberated those concentration camps, and you saw the conditions that were there. You know, what kind of thoughts were going through the mind of your buddies and you? We we didn't we didn't think that people would treat each other like they were treated them down there. And I'm sitting here by. Uh, John and he has tattoos on his arm and reminds me his tattoos on his arm was made a good lampshade. That's what they did to the prisoners in Mauthausen. If they somebody wanted a lampshade and they saw it on the arm or body, they they got it. Wow, that's uh, we have read about that, but you you were able to see that firsthand. And I gotta tell you, I've never met anybody that has earned on the battlefield three bronze stars. Can you tell us about any one of the you know one of the circumstances to get one of those? Can you tell us how you got one? Well, whenever you are fighting every day, is uh, if you you call it a lucky day if you get through that day and go to another one. So we had three different sections and that's the reason we got a bronze star for each section we liberated so that was the european the ardennes and the rhineland central europe and maybe southern europe i don't know just i can't remember just right now can you still fit into your uniform no 
I still got my field jacket that I had. I'll show that to you. Yeah, I'd like to see that. You know, uh, but does it still fit you, Roy? Uh, no, I can't get in it. Can't button it. Can't button it up. I don't think any of us can fit in our old uniforms anymore. You know, it's uh, it's called age, I guess. We put on a few pounds. That is impressive. That's the 11th Armored Division right there, that patch. Yeah. It looks like it might fit you, though. A little bit sharp. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. You know, looking back on, on it now, Roy, so many years later, you know, you've had a lot of time to reflect. You've seen a lot of changes in America. If you had to do it all over again, would would you do it? Yes. Uh, in 2006, my two daughters and grandson, they retraced my steps that I went during the World War II. Did you get that? Is amazing. Did you get uh? Did you get letters from people when you were over there, or, yeah. or were you guys moving so quick you didn't get a chance to read them? I got letters from. Uh, I got a medal from uh, Luxembourg, giving me a Liberation Medal fifty years later, and also Belgium gave me a medal fifty years later for liberating them. Well, congratulations on that. What was it like when y'all got letters, you know, from home? When you had a chance to read them, how did that make y'all feel? Well, we were just glad that we get the letter. We always like to hear anything from back home, but uh, if anything was important, the Red Cross was supposed to tell you. And I remember I had a son that was born on May the 19th, 1945, and they came about two weeks later with the siren blowing to give me some great news, and I'd already got an email, and they wanted wish me i said where in the hell y'all been <laughs> that's great do you remember do you remember when you came back home to the states and what that was like did you go right back to kentucky or where'd you go well when we got when we got to boston coming back we were we were there was a thousand troops in the 11th armor division picked for the invasion of Japan. Whenever we got to Boston, they dropped the first bomb on Japan. So whenever I got home, I counted up my points, and I had 65 points and got back after my furlough. They said, anybody got any questions? I said, I'm ready to go home. I got 65 points. They said, (laughs) post out 40 points. So (laughs) I said, I got 65. My goodness, man. You had more points than you needed, so... But but so they let you go home then. You went right back to Kentucky? Yeah, I went right back home to Kentucky. Then I had 30 days to report to my job. I worked for the railroad before I got, when it was drafted in the Army, so I had a 30-day furlough, then I had to go to work. So you didn't you know what? You've been a busy guy. You didn't get any you didn't get any breaks, man. <laughs> they, they, they just kept you going. So that that is phenomenal. You know, so I went back. I had a job at the railroad. How long did you work at the railroad? I worked uh, 45 years while I was working for the railroad. They built an atomic energy plant. And uh, because of my knowledge of how the material works, they borrowed me from the railroad for two years to work to direct the traffic so to keep the material flowing so they could build a plant out there. So you came back. You came back to America, and you you automatically went right into work and just put your head down and and never looked back. Was there? Let me ask you. You know, we hear a lot about the traumas when when guys and gals come back from combat. Can you describe anything that you may have gone through that was tough for you? 
Well, I tell you, whenever you have to crawl through the mud and everything, that's pretty bad. We Sometimes we have to crawl through the mud to get to a safe ditch to get in to keep the machine gun fire and artillery fire from hitting. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, it's, 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 it's bad enough you have to crawl through the mud, but when somebody's shooting at you, I'm sure it wouldn't be very much fun. Um, you don't couldn't raise your head up, you know, I got shot. Oh my gosh! If you had some advice, or or what, what would you want the civilians to know that are listening to this show about veterans and especially combat veterans? Because there's this there's this conception that all people that have been in combat are all crazy or have these problems. What do you want them to know? About combat. Well, violence. whenever I came back, I had and I was able to get out. I had 30 days to go to work, and I didn't have time to think about how bad it had been. I was so glad to get home and get back to work and get to meet other people. So, you know, we hear, would you say that people are different these days? I would say they're different. I couldn't, couldn't explain just how different they are, but they are different. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And, uh, you know, people like John and myself and many others, you know, we we grew up, you know, we're baby boomers. And, and our parents are, are guys like you that, you know, believed in this country and believed in freedom. And, and I'm telling you straight up, if we didn't have people like you, Roy, Papa John's Pizza is a proud sponsor of Straight Outta Combat Radio. Papa John's, the hero's choice for delicious pizza. Better ingredients, better pizza, better people. Papa John's. People like you, Roy, then the world might have been a, a much different place. If you if there's a if there's a young person, a man or a woman that's that's worn the uniform and they're and they're coming back out, what kind of advice could you give to them? Well, see, I have a I have three sons that's been in the service. Well, that's good. Two of them is in the Vietnam War. They didn't have to go overseas. One of them is in service this time in Germany, and the other one in the Panama Canal Zone. The other one's in the Coast Guard. So, but they all made it back home. Well, that's great. Do your job and come home and get busy to work. Yeah, and just uh, deal with it as it comes. You know, first of all, it's very it's fantastic to have you here to be able to tell your story and. I really appreciate you showing me your field jacket. What keeps you going? Well, I like to have a good time. <laughs> I think having a good time, and uh, my doctor told me that I like to socialize, and I keep doing that, and I might make it to 100. That's incredible. And, uh, I, you know, the the way you say it, I know you're going to get there, and um, it's just so very blessed to uh, to hear your story. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind Throughout your entire life, like a well, piece of John, advice. I, 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 yeah, go ahead, John. I want to intervene. Roy, tell him what you do every night with, with your bike over here. Tell him the distance you go and what you do every night. The bike, three miles. Wow, that's you're doing more than I'm doing. I feel ashamed. I need to get out there on my bike. <laughs> you know, my gosh, you put me to shame here, Roy. That's that's well, incredible. Well, I have the greatest family on earth. I have eight children and many grandchildren, so well, I'm really blessed. Well, from what John and John's sister Jeanette has told me, 
that you are an inspiration not only to your family and those people around you, but you're an inspiration to your community. And when we get your interview out there, you're going to be an inspiration to so many people that you may not know. But I can tell you, Roy, that your story means a lot. And if we don't record these stories, then we can't learn from each other. And I've learned some tidbits from you today that I'm going to remember. One of them is I need to start exercising. Uh, yes. <laughs> but is there a, you know, keep moving. And But is there anything that you would like to tell the American public or anybody listening, anything about America, anything about life, anything? Feel free to do so. I want to hear it. They live live in the greatest country on earth, and they should appreciate all of it. Well said. What? What? So that being said, the way you put it, what does freedom mean to you? Well, just like uh, I can go where I want to and say what I want to, and anything within law, I can do that. I don't look forward to to, uh, violating any laws. I try to live by the laws and tell my family to obey the laws and get along. But to get along with everyone, make friends with everybody, be friends with everybody. And John here is one of my best friends. John's a great guy. I just met him. You've known him a lot longer than me, but but it's good to have a guy like that to to support you, but also to be there, you know, when you need him and, all, oh, I can, yeah. all I can say is this, and this is just my dad came from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and there was five people in his family and they all served in the country. So we learned very early on how important America was. And I, I, I I'm really you're you guys. We heard about the greatest generation. And when you study history and the stories about the phenomenal things that the Americans did. And all over the world during World War II, it makes me realize just how precious that being an American truly is. And it came with a high cost. And That's right. There were 16 million, 16 million men and women served in World War II, and 400,000 didn't come back. That's my, and my heart goes out, and John, John's heart goes out to every single one of them. And, and it's you that came back to, to, to keep the legacy going. And, and to tell these stories, is there is there anything that stands out in particular, um, like a personal mantra that you have or a personal saying, a quote that you like? I just say, just be friends with everyone. Make all the friends you got. You never have too many real friends. Roy, this has been uh, quite a treat for me and um, and a privilege. And, and when John told me about you uh, a few days ago, I said, John, help me to get that man's interview because I want to hear a little bit about his life and why he did the things he did. And I can tell you this, you make me really proud to be an American and you make me proud to have been an army, an army, a guy. And it's guys like you that led the way all the way back to the American revolution that make this country great. And we might seem sometimes that we're just a small part of it, but as a whole population, we truly are a great nation. And, my, my eyes tear up and you put me to shame here today because you're doing more on the bicycle than I am. And I'm going to think about you every day. And, I, and I'm going to I'm going to think about getting up on that bike so I can start doing something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great talking to you. 
Well, thank you. There you have Mr. Roy Duncan, United States Army World War II veteran who was there at the end of the war. He helped liberate those people in those concentration camps. He kept pushing with his buddies. They, they moved like wildfire through the snow, and they put up with a lot. And it's men like him and the women that served at that time, too, that truly were part of the greatest generation. And thank you for your time, sir. And I look forward to when I can come to Paducah. And I, I hope okay. I'm coming up there soon because I want to okay. get I want to get John to come by there and I want to go out and uh, and talk to you when I get there. Okay, I'll be here. God bless you, sir. Thank you. You're welcome to come to my house anytime. I appreciate that. And if you ever come down to Florida and the Gulf Coast, you can come here and stay with us too. And uh, my wife's a native Virginian, but you know she's a Southerner like you. But and she can cook up mean fried food, so I'd love to have you here if you ever make it. <laughs> John, it was an honor for you to take the time with us today. Thank you very much, and it it it, it is a true blessing to to make sure that Roy's story is heard and and remembered forever. And 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 I appreciate you taking the time to make sure that happens. Well, thank you, John, for making it happen, and God bless you guys. And I look forward to getting up to Kentucky sometime soon. Before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. Before they burn it down.